I don't know why, being as big a fan I am of the novels of Christopher Moore, that it took me so long to read his heartwarming tale of Christmas terror, The Stupidest Angel. But I have now read it, and it's the perfect <laughs> both antidote to and celebration of our dis winter December holiday. Um, was Chris, was that your goal in writing it? Yeah, I think every one of my books is just sort of an antidote to something. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. Thanks for subscribing, streaming, or downloading and listening to us on your computer or tablet or phone. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast number 574, The Stupidest Angel. Since we're heading into the holiday season, I asked Christopher Moore, the author of Lamb, The Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood Pal, Fool, The Serpent of Venice, Sacre Bleu, The Lost Lizard of Melancholy Cove, and the upcoming noir, to talk about his holiday tale, The Stupidest Angel, how it came to be written, how it fits in with the rest of his oeuvre, and also what's coming next. The Stupidest Angel was sort of, there were all these, you know, sort of smarmy Christmas books that came out every every year and sold a zillion copies. And quite honestly, the the impetus of it, the, the inspiration of it is I was speaking at the HarperCollins sales meeting in Florida um, in, I think it was in December of whatever year that book, you know, the year before that book came out. And uh, the national sales rep for Borders came up to me. And he said, uh, hey, Chris, you know, you should write a Christmas book. We could sell the shit out of that thing. And I was like, oh, really? Um, what would it be about? And he said, oh, I, I don't know, Christmas in Pine Cove or something. I said, oh, really? Um, how many pages do you think it should be? Uh, so, <laughs> so, so that's the high art of, of, uh, of outlining a novel. But So that's how it started. But then once I was writing it, I knew it, it needed to be short. It needed to... Um, uh, sort of touch. I wanted to touch on all those themes, you know. So it, it it sort of plays a little bit with with gift of the magi and and weather emergencies and all coming together and then sort of you know killing Santa with a shovel, um, which is one of the that the the death of Santa early in the early pages wakes you up to the idea that oh this isn't going to be the traditional <laughs> Christmas tale that I thought it was going to be. Um, can you can you tell the listeners a little bit about Pine Cove and the other novels that you set there? Well, Pine Cove is a little town on the central coast of California that, I mean, I think when people think of California, they think of uh, things that are a lot more palm tree and Los Angeles-ish. At least I did when I grew up in the Midwest. And um, Pine Cove is more... Uh, sort of rural and it's 5,000 people in every day. I remember the phrase from uh, the circus of Dr. Lau is um, every tomorrow will be like yesterday. And so all my books that are set in Pine Cove are shaking up the, the status quo of making, you know, every expectation that tomorrow will be exactly like yesterday was by throwing in an element of, of strange. And, um, and I lived in a little town called Cambria for 20 years uh, that is like that. It's, this is Pine Cove's based on. So my first one was bringing a monster, a demon from hell to this the little town and how everybody tried to get rid of it. And, and you get to see it from everybody's point of view. 
And the second one was a, a giant sea monster that's uh, awakened from the depths by a leak from the Diablo Canyon uh, nuclear power plant that comes into town and starts feeding on uh, depressed people. Because coincidentally, the only town shrink has just taken everybody off of uh, antidepressants and put them on placebos. Huh. And, this, and this predator uh, evolved to feed on depressed mammals. Um and so we have, you know, an entire town that's going crazy and a little horny because that's one of the uh, side effects of going off of, of antidepressants. And then you have a monster that's eating them and can disguise himself in various ways, like a like a double white house trailer and stuff like that. Um, and then the stupidest angel was sort of taking those characters plus a couple of characters from my other books and throw them all into this, this short Christmas themed story of there's a giant storm in Pine Cove and, and nobody can get in or out of the town. And, and it's the night of the Pine Cove Christmas party. And, uh, then it goes from there. We'll talk about what goes on from there. Yeah. Well, and, and there's no better setting, I guess, for a Christmas tale than, uh, than, uh, a forest of pine trees. Exactly. Yeah. And it, strangely enough, Monterey Pines, the thing that sort of makes the 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 weather so germane to the plot is pine tree, uh, Monterey Pines grow like 20 feet a year. So they're very often used for Christmas trees. Um, but they also grow straight up 100 feet and they have a pancake uh, root system. So they're sort of like those little trees that you buy to put on an electric train set. They just sit there like little army men and they fall over just as easily. Yeah. So all winter long, uh, Cambria has power out about 30 times whenever there's wind. And so it made it perfect to, to use for a weather emergency story. And can you talk about your title character? Because the drawing on the front of the book makes me think that, oh, right, it's going to be a cute, little, innocent, not very smart angel. But that's not at all the character that you've created. No, Raziel is, uh, I invented, I, I created him for um, my book, Lamb, the Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood Pal. And he is um, given the task of of bringing the best friend of Biff, making him rise in Jerusalem and bringing him to St. Louis to write the untold story of the Gospels, the 30 years that's not covered in the Gospels. And he's just not the brightest halo in the bunch. Um, and, and they, and we sort of refer to different times where he's accidentally destroyed a city, um, which is one of his favorite things to do. And, um, you know, some some of the Egyptian plagues were actually things that he did wrong. And that's how this goes. And, and he's this incredibly gorgeous creature, um, that as, as one would think an angel is, but he's just dumb as a box of rocks. And, and so he is told to uh, grant a Christmas wish every year. Um, one Christmas prayer is granted. And uh, little, uh, a, a little boy, I can't remember his name, he, he um, witnesses uh, uh, basically a, a Elks Club or, or Moose Club Santa um, being murdered with a shovel and his own his wish is that um, he be brought back to life or that Santa be, be brought back to life. And Raziel completely messes up the whole thing and goes to where the Santa is buried um, and ends up uh, 
basically bringing everybody in the entire churchyard back to life who crawl out of their graves. I don't know, spoiler alert, but that's that's what happens. But but basically, Raziel is just, he's not this benign, cute angel, although I designed the cover for that book, so that, that was on purpose, that we would have the cute cartoon. And it was like, it, it was supposed to be, uh, um, there's a certain dimension that all these the christmas books have to be and they have to have a certain font and it has to be a certain color and all that stuff and i was just you know for the longest time people would say well what's the stupidest angel about and i said it's about 1495 because that's under the office um secret santa christmas limit so if you were under 15 bucks you could you could use it for the the uh the chris you know your secret santa gift at the at a christmas party so it's very much of uh, an act of uh being a Christmas mercenary. Well, at every store I've been, every bookstore I've been in for the last eight years has had it by its <laughs> by the register. Right, <laughs> which is it, why as, they have to be small. Yeah, that's right. It's a fantastic impulse buy, and 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 what you're talking about, Raziel bringing bringing uh, iconic figures back to life, very much. Um, not so much the Christmas story, but the Easter story. I mean, there seems to be some slight religious overtones to that. Yeah, I, with this book, much less obviously than with the Jesus book. This one was just more about how to have a a, a minor limited catastrophe happen um, over over the Christmas holidays and throw all these different people into into. Uh, and there's there, these are characters that I you know developed over 15 years by the time I'd written that book. And and they they're all really quirky. There's a pothead sheriff and um, a constable and a, a biologist, who, um, a field biologist who is always studying some sort of weird rat or something in town. And and Molly Michon is one of my favorite characters. She's a she's what happens to a, a B movie actress when she's not making movies anymore. And and she's minorly psychotic and sometimes has breaks where she's not sure whether. She's Molly Michon, the ex-actress, or Kendra Warrior Babe of the Outland. Um, and so she has episodes of being one or the other. <clears throat> so, yeah, that's, uh, it, it was just a nice mix to put everybody in that. And then I bring a giant Micronesian fruit bat and a helicopter pilot who's there to spot marijuana fields, which all that with the legal, legalization of pot, you know, all these stories are going to be obsolete. And you pay, you, you absolutely play fair with the... Uh, with the reader because you say right up front author's warning if you're buying this book as a gift for your grandma or a kid you should be aware that it contains cuss words as well as tasteful depictions of cannibalism and people in their 40s having sex and 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 i think in the in the time that book's been out um which is i think about 12 years now i've only had one person who bought it because it had a cute red cover on it and then read it and was completely aghast. And it was like grandma type. So I, was, I felt like, yes, go. <laughs> um. <laughs> Hello, I'm Adrian Scarborough, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. <laughs> 
Where can you RSC the RSC? Our holiday tour of the Ultimate Christmas Show Abridged continues this week with our two final performances of 2017 in Reston, Virginia this week and La Mirada, California next week. Next winter, we'll bring William Shakespeare's long-lost first play abridged to many places across the country, including Bloomington, Illinois, Hillsdale, Michigan, Tallahassee, Florida, South Padre Island, Texas, Livermore, California, Bluebell, Pennsylvania, Hayes, Kansas, Indianapolis, Indiana, La Crosse, and Madison, Wisconsin, the New Victory Theater in New York City for two weeks, and the Pittsburgh Public Theater for all of next June. We'll also be doing one performance of the Bible, the Complete Word of God abridged, in Orono, Maine in March, and Pop-Up Shakespeare is now already in its second printing and on sale worldwide. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office, venue, and ticket information. And now back to my conversation with Christopher Moore, the author of The Stupidest Angel, your brand new holiday tradition. You talked about how much fun it was throwing these existing characters that you've created over 15 years together in this new blender of a story. Is, mm-hmm. that, is that part of the fun for you of, of writing, staying within a series of books? For instance, so you've got all the Pine Cove books. You've got your two Shakespeare books, uh-huh. um, Fool and the Serpent of Venice. Is... Mm-hmm. is is that fun more easy than creating a new, like a new standalone story? Like yeah, just it, it's, done? it's easier. Yeah, because I do a lot of character work, so it's easier than having to create all the all the characters. Sometimes it makes it a lot more complex because of you're trying to weave these disparate um, elements together. And uh, stupidest angel, I I really wanted it to be sort of a a gateway book to my other stuff. Is it, you know you could read it and completely out of order with anything else. But then when you read the other books, you'd go, Oh, I know that person. I know that person. I know that fruit bat. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it, it is fun. And in the case of the pine cove books, certainly it, it does, uh, it does make it easy. If you're a world builder, which I don't really see myself as, but you know, it's why science fiction writers write, you know, five, six, 10 books in a series is, you know, creating an entire world is a lot more is is a lot harder than going okay this is set in new york upper west side right um where everybody knows what it is if you have to sort of name everything um it it takes a lot more time so yeah it's 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 fun in that respect and Supus angel especially was fun because it was it introduces a couple of new characters but it's not uh you know it's not uh i didn't have to create the world that it went into um but this, on, on the other hand, the Shakespeare books can completely get out of hand because I'm dealing with his characters. Um, right. You know, I, the Serpent of Venice um, does a sort of a retelling of Othello and uh, the Merchant of Venice, and there were 38 named characters in those two plays. Yeah, and and half of them all sounded alike: Salernio, Solanio, and and Solanio in, in, in some versions. It was nightmarish. Um, so, so sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard. The, my stuff is easier to redo when I've created everything. When I try to bring other people's stuff in, um, it can be, it can be like braiding a rope. Then you're getting to the end, and there's just too many strands, and you can't get it to to turn the corner. But you know, it's beats digging ditches, I guess. And when I read Stupidest Angel earlier this fall, I tweeted about it, and 
oh my God, the number of Twitter people who came out of the woodwork saying, that's my favorite. The stupidest angel is my favorite. It's an <laughs> annual tradition. That's yeah. got to be enormously uh, uh, heartwarming. It is. It's it's great. It's it's um, it's it's surprising, but it, it, I I guess I understand it because one of the reasons I started writing these books was because I wasn't finding that kind of book on the shelf. Yeah. You know, I'd go to the bookstore and I'd say, God, I just wanted to read something funny, and they just weren't there, and uh, particularly in Christmas stories. So the, this was. Uh, you know, my contribution to that genre, I guess. But so I, it's, I suppose if I really think about it, it's not that surprising, but I'm always sort of pleasantly surprised each year when people say, Oh, that's my favorite. And, and a, a bunch of them, a bunch of people buy them for gifts, you know, and, and give them to people. And I keep a box around the house so I can give them for gifts. If someone shows up and says, Oh, here's your fruitcake. And I go, Oh, look what I got you. Um, and <laughs> boy, you came out ahead, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you ever going to write another book that's a follow-up to Soccer Blue? That's a pretty big rock to lift, to be honest with you. Soccer Blue for the Uninitiated is sort of a, a fantastic history of the color blue as it relates to the French Impressionists from about 19 uh, or 1863 to about 1892. And it was... Um, it was a joy to research and write. A difficult, but a, but a joy. And and I I think about it all the time, Austin. To be honest with you, I think about you know what I would do with that and and go forward with that with that taking art history and putting it into a, a fanciful story like that. And and there's a, another period in the 20s that the 1920s in Paris that is a possibility. But um, I think that. Uh, I don't know. That was such a leap. That that's that's such a different story. That the I created this character, this supernatural character that immediately a lot of people thought it had been around for you know 800 years or something, and a couple of people tried to steal it, and we had to send them cease and desist letters saying, no, that's not a persistent myth. That's something I made up. The whole and you know what I'm talking about, but I don't want to spoil right. it for, right. for readers. But um. The the short answer is I've thought about it, but I haven't come up with anything that immediately jumps out as being a, um, a a good sequel to that or a good continuation of that. And my publisher wants me to do the reason I wrote noir is they want me to do something different, so that people go, well, uh, you know, he's never done this before. Let's give that a try. That's very cool. That's what, what yeah. kind of tremendous faith in your voice. Yeah, more than I have, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and. You know, I think of all of your books. I, I, I think I've read them all, but I need to go back and check the list. Um, I think of all of them as being funny and weird and wild and, and entertaining. But every now and then, like with Sacre Bleu or with Lamb, I find them actually beautiful. And in, and, and in the case of Lamb and The Stupidest Angel and Noir, which I've had the pleasure of reading, a proof of, um, I find your books moving. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, that's what it, I, I was going for that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a software. It's moving point 2.3. Oh, that's, um, it's, it's just a filter you apply. Oh. Yeah, it's a software. I, it's an answer I give at writers' conferences. <laughs> when people say, how do you write humor? I just, oh, I, I just load up humor, writing, humor writer 3.0. 
Um, <laughs> well, that's nice of you to say. I think I, what I've always maintained is that if you don't entertain people, it doesn't matter how important what you have to say is. Hmm. And, and because they're not going to be with you. And that's a divergence from, I think, the, those people that I came up with who, who are literary writers is it's more important what they say. And, and not to say that, that they don't tell a story, but my first instinct is to give people their money's worth on the page. And then if I have something to say, hopefully it, it will get through. And also you can get people to drop their guard. You know, and if they're laughing and they're laughing and they're laughing, and then there's a poignant moment. It's it's more poignant. It's more affecting than um, than if you just do it. But but uh, I I mean it's nice that it works. Um, and and I don't know how often um, with noir um, as many of my books, I think that that's a book about friendship. You know, as well as a love story. Um, but uh, you know, we'll talk about that in a later episode. <laughs> yes, yes, we will. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Comedy Podcast. Check out Christopher Moore's website, chrismore.com, to find out where you can pick up your copy of The Stupidest Angel or any of his other fantastically funny and, as has been mentioned, beautiful and moving novels. Then send us your antidotes via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also engage with us and other fans on Facebook or Twitter. You can find easy links to all these social networks at our website, reducedshakespeare.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin. Titchener and Chris Moore's on Twitter too at the author guy. Thanks as always to Demon Keeper Matthew Croak, Web Services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout out this week goes to John Bergeron. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Adrian Scarborough, who famously played Shakespeare's Fool, not Chris Moore's Fool, in King Lear at the National Theater opposite Simon Russell Beale. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. I'm Austin Titchener, 574, 1720 seconds of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. I'm hoping you've created a video of you sitting in your ugly Christmas sweater by a fire and a Christmas tree reading The Stupidest Angel. Is that too much to ask for? That is something I should do. Um, I, I will put that on the list, Austin. I have not done that, but um, there was a fellow who, who had developed uh, The Stupidest Angel to some extent as a film, and he did me in claymation sort of doing what you're describing and, and it was, it's sort of in that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer style of claymation yeah. and it was a little horrifying it was only about 20 seconds of it but it was like wow I would not want to wake up in that world um, but I haven't done it in live action but I will put it on the list maybe by next Christmas I'll have it for you this podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company reducing expectations since 1981 go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates actor bios email newsletters and so much less so much less so much less so much less